this evening we have a very, very special guest uh, joining us here on Beyond Belief. And people throughout the county will know Nigel. Nigel Bridge, you're very welcome. Thank you. Nigel, people will know you from various churches where you've played as organist. Uh, you've been involved with musical society, uh, with uh, hotels all down through the years that you've been in Clare as well. And you've been judges on uh, various things from Rosa Tralee to uh, an MC on many, many occasions, fashion shows and uh, right throughout the county. So people will be familiar with you from many of those roles, I'm sure. You're very welcome to join us. And that first piece of music at night from Elaine Page at midnight is your first choice of music. Any reason for that, Nigel? In that particular piece of music, it was an era in my life where whenever there was a new beginning, not just the operetta part of the musical world, by that I mean all the staid artists and composers of an era, we had somebody new coming out, and I used to play my arrangement of Cats on the piano when I was down at Dremoland in those days, and it took me abroad, it took me to the United States, that particular tune. It's the arrangement of it and the fact that it does tell a story, but it's of a new era. It gives a new sound, an up-to-date sound. That's what took me towards Cats. And I think, personally, myself, it came from the Ratmaninoff piano concerto, because I always ended up with part one of that on the piano. And it does sound rather grand. Okay. Talking about your travels, if we can travel back a little bit in time, Nigel, uh, you uh, live in Clare Castle. When did you come to Clare as a family? Valentine's Day, 1957, and it was a Friday. We came down the night before, stayed in Ennis at the Queen's Hotel. Next day, we entered Clare Castle at 9.15 prompt. The reason we came to Clare Castle was uh, we had reached a period in my father's life where he was very fortunate. He'd been headhunted twice before for different jobs. One was before he married. He was headhunted to come to Belfast, and he did. And then when he was there, he was headhunted to come down and open another company in Dungannon, which he did. And then he was headhunted to move up to a place called Ahadui near uh, Coleraine. That reached the end of a termination in his career, and then he advertised, and he had two offers of jobs, one to Scotland and one to Ennis. And he tossed a coin and came and did two interviews, one in Dublin and one in Ennis, and we came to Ennis. Um, many no regrets. How many in the family at that stage? Two of us, but we brought down mum and dad and the granny on my mother's side and, and me and my brother, Adrian, yeah. And certainly for me growing up in Ennis in the late 50s and into the 60s and things like that, your mum was uh, a powerhouse and really got us all involved, even as teenagers and things like that. She was actually the disco queen in some ways. <laughs> got us all up on the floor and uh, got us all interacting and just showed us a joy about life. Uh, you know, she was a really, really marvellous character. And I'm sure tonight there are many people of my generation and others in Ennis and that who will just, when they hear Mrs Bridge, they'll just smile. She really was a real, real great lady and did a tremendous amount of work right throughout Clare, in charity especially. She could not see that or hear that particular word, no. There was always a possibility, well, come on, let's do something about it. 
uh, it was also the same with her mother. I saw that as a little boy. I can remember going back to the age of three and four, where my granny on mum's side, she would get the walking stick out and go out and there was somebody up the road or somebody needed a bag of coal. She'd attend to it straight away and then come back. Not talk about it, but you wonder where she'd gone. Mother was like that too. It was a job to do if it was with people next door, people down the street, even people going into hospital. To have babies, there's a few people out out there will remember my mother going to visit them in, in hospital, making sure they had a nice new nighty and things like that. And um, even my dad was very generous. I can vouch for that too. If people didn't have a bicycle, dad would make sure the company bought them a bicycle. And following on from that, I suppose, Nigel, I think in many ways, you know, your spectrum of involvement down through the years has, I think, you know, reflected that, like your your willingness to get involved when you're asked, be it with churches, be it with uh, any events, community events and things like that, you know, you've carried on that. I have, yes, because I could personally see the good that could be achieved by not waiting to be asked the whole time or not being sent an agenda or not being sent a memo. Get out there and do something about it. And I think that probably comes from my father being a Yorkshire man. My mother was a Lincolnshire girl. It comes from that era of time where you did get up and you got out and you helped. I can remember those things. It, it was always everybody outside seemed to come first. Uh, occasionally we'd get the reply in our house, well, you're having a boiled egg this evening, and then you see cakes and that bread going all out the house to, to help, mm-hmm. to help. The involvement thing, become, I think it's just inherent in, in one's personality, the fact that you wish to help others. And if you do wish to help others, you do it. And if there are people that get in your way, then you become slightly aggressive or antagonistic, which you shouldn't really, but helping is helping. It still is. Uh, just going back again into that period, the late 50s, early 60s and things like that in, in, in Ennis and the surrounds, like at the time, society was very much, um, to some extent, from a religious point of view, we were separate, like we were Catholic and Church of Ireland and sort of the era was, well, you don't meet uh, type of thing. But your mother was across all boundaries uh, as a member of the Church of Ireland and got us all involved and was involved in very much Catholic things. So ever before we heard of the word ecumenism, she was carrying that spirit. Very, very much so. Um, This may not sound very good on this kind of programme, but it is true. Um, We were there two weeks in our house and on the wall opposite us was the usual signage, Brits out. So my mother got a can of, or a, a bucket of whitewash and went down to the parish hall in Castle, as some of the people there will be able to remember, and wrote on the wall, I love the Pope. And we'd never any more trouble after that. Not that we had any trouble anyway, because when my father apparently came to Belfast in 1936, he made his mind up then that he was going to employ all religions, no matter what they were. He could see... There was a division and it needed to be sorted out. Perhaps it could be in the workplace and it was in the workplace. When we moved further up the north of Ireland and to Dungannon, I know it was the same there. Dad would employ both sides of the fence, whoever they were. So it comes from that. Seeing it in action in your own family, ecumenism was just a word that came. 
Yes, it was. It was the, the one actu- that the described have, it. Yes, the actions <laughs> have been there to begin with. Absolutely, uh, that, you know. And for us, growing up uh, in that, it year, was wonderful. It was, it was just wonderful. Mm, it was. It was, it was right. I mean, we. Used to, I mean, as I said, she was the queen of the disco. Like when we heard, when we knew Mrs. Bridges was going to be at the disco, we would go because she would get us all up at the floor. Canon O'Donoghue and her, how they controlled the Kalosta and some flannels together, I will never know. Mother was always in a caftan, and uh, <laughs> the Canon was in his gear, his garb, but how they managed, I don't know, because that was an era whenever, well, new dimensions were all there, new horizons were all happening, so yeah. it, it, was, it was. It was great fun, always. Yeah. It was. And, you know, I suppose it, it, we had chatted earlier before we came on air, Nigel, I mean, your mum's work, particularly with the Council of the Blind and uh, all of the other charities that she was involved in, tremendous. And, I mean, I think the seeds of her work continue. They do, Sorry. because when we had the 50th anniversary of Clerca a year ago in Glore, and all these things kept coming up, and Father Gagan would look at me, and Canon O'Donoghue would look at me. It was all gelling into place, all the different things that Mother had been a part of in the town, from the old folks to the Meals on Wheels to the uh, Council of the Blind to the church things in uh, Bindon Street to the church things at the cathedral. All these things had all happened, and then... Clare Castle, actually, in 1962, they won a Tidy Town Award, which Mother took up the Canon Hogan and Pat Navin. She took them up uh, way up to Virginia in County Cavan to collect the award. There were p- pictures of that somewhere at home. But, no, it was an era that she really got herself into it. C- Council of the Blind was the big thing, and that did upset her when she ended up her days in Carcalla, whenever everything had to be centralised and all the bequests and whatnot that had been given to the Council of the Blind in County Clare, which originated from Kilrush, from old Mrs Lynn. She was one of the founders and always attended, no matter what state or what age, she would always attend the annual Lantern Ball. All those things had to be centralised to Dublin and that made her very, very upset, the fact that all this giving had been done in Clare and it was all being centralised to Dublin. Uh, your own musical background, I mean, where did that come from, Nigel? Um, the both sides of the family. My father played the piano beautifully and the nuns knew all about that over at the Colostor, which was unbelievable. I did not know he'd ever played for them. I did not know he'd ever discussed things with them that he had done. But anyway, to do all to do with music. Dad was actually a very good sportsman at school in England and also a great musician. And Dad ended up actually as an organ scholar at, at Selby. But Dad played the piano beautifully. Uh, Chopin and Mendelssohn and Schumann were Dad's speciality. Even if he came home from work at night, he'd sit down at the piano and ream something off. So it comes from there. The voice thing, and when I did have a voice soprano, the voice thing came from my mother. She had a good singing voice as well. And Kieran O'Gorman pulled her into the choir, which he enlarged in Ennis after he came back to take over the cathedral choir. He pulled in my mother there as well, and the late Anna McCrum as well, and all those kind of people. He just pulled them in, and it was wonderful. It was great. That's where it really all came from. And school, I was very honoured to, at the age of 11, I was even accompanying the school choir in the north of Ireland. That was a huge honour to, to miss class and have to go off to, to do a fair show. It was huge. It was great. 
Uh, Bibi, that leads us into our next piece of music, and you've chosen a particular piece that is is churchy, if you like, but it's it's a very special piece. It's the Magnificat. Can yeah. you tell us about it? The first time I heard it, do you know, and Bishop Owen in Killaloo, who was a great friend to the late sister Elizabeth too, he had this performed, and Pem Stanley, who was attached to the convent in Nina, she taught the Anfield singers. They started off doing the creation, which they brought to Ennis as well, and then they went back to Nina, and then they did the Magnificat by Stanford. And uh, it just lives. I mean, it's a great church piece. There's a, a lovely organ accompaniment, and the choir has to sing. They really have to sing. That was the Stanford setting of the Magnificat, and you're listening to Beyond Belief, and our very special guest this evening is Nigel Bridge. Very good memories for you uh, for that. Huge memories, yes, and also uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral love to do that for special occasions. But on saying that, the one time that I do remember it giving me a right bang was the full choir of Maynooth with Regina Nathan as front of that. She was the only female anywhere near that choir in that era, and I was there that evening, and it was a very large choir, very good organist, and it was just mighty. I came out and I went for a walk down the field afterwards and had some tears. It was so beautiful, mm. so beautiful. Now, going back to music and, and perhaps thinking of Bindon Street and the Church of Ireland there, you are organist and uh, choir master and uh, director of music and everything else there. Uh, how long have you been doing that? I've been doing that for exactly 59 years, not 62, 59. It started because um, it really was... I, I wasn't pushed into it, I can assure you, but we had an organist there who'd been there for quite some time. She had a big promotion in, in schools and she moved down into County Limerick, so she moved away completely. And it was announced that we were buying taped music for the church. My father stood up in church. While I have a son here that can play... He will learn the organ. So <laughs> I taught the organ first part myself. Right. And right. I did play with Daddy keeping an eye on me. And then there was all sorts of people that Dad would bump into over the years and he said, you must come and hear my son play. One of them was Gabriel Kelly from Westport, a magnificent organist who you always used to be part of the Organ Week in Dublin. Uh, a great organist, too, who I've shared time with in Knock as well over the years. But that's when the organ started, and it was just finishing off after that, uh, being, being allowed to play for choirs, being allowed to play in the cathedral after Kieran O'Gorman uh, moved. I went in there, and it was a huge honour. And again, you got practice, 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 mm. and practice still So, so we're going perfect. back to this ecumenism thing that uh, we were talking about earlier with your mother. So obviously this has continued through with your music, because you're, you're a familiar face. It doesn't matter whether it's a Catholic... Uh, uh, church or an Anglican church or anything, any other church, you're there, aren't no, you? No, it didn't. It started in Clare Castle with a few of the um, professional people in Ennis who got married in Clare Castle. I was the, I, I, I would be the guest organist in those days on an old harmonium, but that worked too. 
and it's just moved from there. So what formal training did you have? And you took, your father taught you the piano? My father didn't teach me the piano. That started before school days in the north of Ireland. But then uh, we had uh, we had somebody in the BBC in the north of Ireland called, uh, and the music world called uh, Havelock Nelson. Havelock would come around the schools hunting for talent uh, every year. The year he came around and he did not choose me, uh, he, he wanted to choose me for a voice, a bi-soprano voice, but he chose Jean Alistair in Balamani at the Dalriada that year. But many years after, he came to me in the concert hall in Limerick and he said, I've done wrong by you, Nigel. And I said, sir, do I know you? And he said, yes, you should. He said, I let you down in the 50s. I should have pushed you towards piano and organ. He said, I believe you've been everywhere. I said, sir, I have, and thank you for not pushing me for the singing voice because I don't have a good singing voice. But that's when it all started. School, accompanying for the choir, uh, that was that was go, go, go. And then my dad played extremely well, so if ever I was stuck, pick up the phone, Dad, I can't find this note, Dad, I can't find that note. And he'd say, well, it's there, look for it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think also in, in, involved in your training, the Catholic Church had a hand in it as well, did they? They did, after many, many years of experiencing all the different uh, bits and pieces and uh, sections of the church year within the, the, the cathedral, plus Church of Ireland, uh, plus in the, the, those days going backwards and forwards to Killaloo to different uh, choir things again, uh, you, you actually got the insight into the format of church and how the churches do work so closely t together in words as, and in music and Bible. It, it all goes back to Bible. Yes, and, but you went to Maynooth, did you? For... That was a huge surprise. It was a big surprise because I had been with the Cathedral Choir to um, one of the summer schools prior to this happening uh, to me, but uh, the late uh, Dr Harty very kindly gave me a small bursary to go up and have extra tuition, not over a week or two weeks, but spread it out over a couple of years or more. And that was a huge honour, a huge honour, uh, because it gave me a massive insight into um, what I would always term discipline, discipline mm -hmm. on the keyboard. And that's what a teacher would tell you the whole time. Now, as well as playing in churches and cathedrals and all over the place for choirs, you also played in hotels, uh, more secular yeah. music. And that, that's taking you all over the world, has it? Well, it kind of has. It, um, it started in the Old Ground Hotel every Saturday night in the dining room. It started more than that so many times a week in the cocktail bar at uh, Dremola. That gave me huge outreach and that took me to the United States, to all over the place. That took me to Bermuda. That took me <laughs> just for piano. If the piano was good, you played. If the piano was not good, well, no, 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 you can't. No, it, it, that, that's a huge outreach, again, through music. So you, you're perfectly happy playing, you know, popular secular music as well as more sacred music? Well, I am, yes, but as you see, a pianist can't cope with things like U2 or Beyonce. You need the beat background and the big band sound and all the yow-wow-wow kind of uh, choruses at the background. You can't get that from the piano, but you can, you, you can do darn well. You, you can, yeah, you can. Good. So... 
at the moment you, you're playing obviously every week in uh, in Binder Street. Street and in Tarcastle. I'm full time organist there. Oh right. Yeah, with a, a very nice choir too. And and then occasional visits to the cathedral and, and yes. to funerals yes. and yes. Uh, things like yes. that. Yes, and some flannels. I've been up and down there. I have some more happening soon. Yes, yes. Good. From international people who want to come home for a wedding. That's what it's been. The cathedral office in Ennis are extremely good at uh, slotting these things into place. Um, we try to give the customer what they require. So that's what I say about it. Yeah. So, Nigel, talking of secular pieces of music, you've actually chosen something now, Circle of Life from uh, The Lion King, Elton John's piece, which it is secular, but it has a real uh, sacramental almost yes. feel to it, doesn't yes. it? You know, yes. Let, let's hear yeah. it. From the day we arrive on the planet, and blinking step into the sun, there's more to be seen than can ever be seen, more to do than can ever be done. you're tuned to Beyond Belief uh, on this Sunday evening and we have a very special guest with us this evening, Nigel Bridge from Clare Castle. Many of you would be familiar with Nigel in his many roles as organist, uh, member of musical societies, uh, hotels, uh, judges and as MC on many occasions uh, right throughout the years in many places in Clare. Uh, Nigel, as we move through the the story, I suppose, of, of your own life and that, can I ask you a question about your faith? Uh, having grown up in the Anglican tradition in Northern Ireland and coming down here then and being a member, an active member of the Church of Ireland, but also your involvement, as you said, with other churches and particularly with the Roman Catholic yeah. uh, congregations and that, has faith been important in influencing you in your life? Do you know, it really has. Um, it probably, that does go back, I know, to parents and aunts and uncles who all had church in mind and all used their Bible and th there was always a time for a quick prayer and you always could relate something outside, in the outside world, to a story that came from the Bible. Even the seed, the parable of the sower, things like that. Um, the thing was, I think, growing up in the middle of all this mixed religion that I had come to as a boy, I could see the sides of all the fences uh, because the girl in the office was very devout Roman Catholic. Eileen only ever went to Loch Dirk for her holidays every year. Eileen taught me the Our Father before my own parents did even. And um, Eileen, by the way, in the last year and a half, has only just passed away in her 90s and she left me her first Holy Communion medal which I was stunned about, so I did go and fetch that back from the north of Ireland. But the thing is, uh, there was always that in-depth. Uh, you would go to Sunday school on a Sunday. You would concentrate on your Bible. Auntie Annie would be on the road as I was going up to the church on a Sunday, and she'd want to hear, did I know my, my prayer or my hymn or my whatever I was supposed to learn before I went there? She'd stand there, and then she'd give me the top of the milk off the milk bottles in those days. Um, you got to church and we were always blessed with having a fairly good cleric 
in the church who was keen on children and how children should interact in the church. Not the fact that they might make heaps of noise or they might not do the right thing or the wrong thing, but the fact that he was interested in children. That would pull me along as well. And then there were always the questions from the aunts and the uncles and mum and dad about what had you done today at church? And um, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it wasn't, honestly, until I got to my 40s because we had two deaths in the family on my mum's side in the 50s, and we were as children weren't even allowed to go to the funeral, Adrian and I. It was looked on in that day as we were too young to experience such things. But we've always been aware of what's been happening around... And it was only about the age of 10 to 12 that I became aware of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why, but for some unknown reason, perhaps it came through living in the countryside and being next to nature... Nature seemed to bring in what was supposedly, as a 10 or 12-year-old, of the Holy Spirit. And it did. Bit by bit it evolved, bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit. And then when I became, not so much the Anglican uh, church, but when I came to Clare and I found there was a depth in the Roman religion that seemed to suit me as well. And I loved our visits to Knock. Being all alone with uh, Dr. Canaan, the late Dr. Canaan, at the high altar and everybody out doing the stations of the cross and just the two of us alone with the apparition wall. I don't care what anybody says, they can try to persuade me that black is pink. The, the, the Holy Spirit definitely can arrive and depart as and when it's time for it to appear. It does come in and that's how you hold on to believe through interactions in your life. That's what has happened with me, anyway. Yes, that's interesting, Nigel. Have you ever felt that perhaps you you should become a Catholic? No, not a Roman Catholic. I prefer to be a Catholic out there in the the world. I, I would feel if I was just one particular heading, I wouldn't feel the same outward bound because I have friends in other religions as well. And I've been able... And for years and years and years, I was dying to find out about the Jewish faith. And as it so happened, I ended up with having a benefactor slightly in that vein, and he was attached to the New York synagogue, and um, he opened it up for me on that. That cleared that matter up in my head, which was outstanding for so many years. It was OK to talk about them in the Bible and, he- and hear it read and see things in the Psalms about the Jews and this and the other, but to actually meet one who was devout. I mean, not a bigoted type of person, but a, a devout, devout person. So I wouldn't want to just stylize myself as being Roman Catholic. I much prefer to be internationally Catholic. And, and that would be a, a traditional sort of Christian uh, yes, viewpoint yes, of things. Yes, But you, you obviously like the, the formality of, yes. of the, the yes. Catholic churches. I do. And, and yes. the, the, the structure. Yes, and, and, I uh, do. Uh, and because my father had that in his church in England. He was High Church of England. Dad had incense and everything, you see. And Dad always wanted a high cross on the church uh, altar in Ennis, but we... We had people who objected to that, so we, 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 we've never had a high cross. But there is a high, there is a high cross in the uh, radars at the back of the altar, so that takes care of that. But it, it, that could come from my father. He liked, he liked structure in the church, and he'd tell the cleric at the end that he didn't know what he was talking about. Um, Dad knew the Bible well. Oh, by the way, my father also was taught through at school through uh, Latin, when Dad died, 12 of the nuns came over and sang an office 
beside his coffin in the church. That was rare. That's over 40 years ago now. They came over from the cloister. Again, then, this ecumenism is yes, a common it, thread it, it, in it your was life, really. All my it? life. You know, all my life. Accepting. All my life, um, yeah. It is. Honestly, yeah. yeah. I've forgotten about that, but they, they did. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah. they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's marvellous that you can use your, your skills and your gifts to so many different organisations, but particularly to, you know, the Catholics and also mm. the, the Anglicans, mm. without any problem at all, you know. You don't appear to have any, and certainly yeah. they have no problem um, <laughs> inviting you in and taking as full a part as you can in, in all the, the ritual and the services. Yeah. Yes, because, I mean, I know this sounds slightly facetious. I mean, I shouldn't interfere in what the priest or priests are saying or doing but I mean when it comes to marriages or things like that in the church I'm terribly strict on what they should do and what they should not do and how they should say it and how they should not say it and even when you can't use that as a prayer I mean for heaven's sakes uh, we are in the house of God I mean this kind of thing that's me (laughs) that's the effect it has on me let's do it correctly Nigel, we began chatting earlier on, particularly about uh, the influence of your mum and how so uh, we hold her memory so affectionately uh, that way. Um, maybe just uh, as a final question to you tonight, Nigel, how would you like people to remember Nigel Bridge? Well, you do get the usual thing that will come along. Uh, it comes along in so often in so many places. And it's a very kindly thing that one can say at such a period in time as a death to hear, well, he was a gentleman. But um, I would love to hear the fact that I've always been so kind and so helpful to so many people. And in my mind, I don't have to put a hand on heart and say that I have been kind and helpful to many I think that's definitely true, and there are many of our listeners, I think, who will affirm that uh, for you, uh, Nigel. Thank you so much for being our guest here at Beyond Belief tonight. We're going to leave with a very special piece of music um, that uh, you have chosen for us, and it's very much associated with uh, what you do for uh, our churches uh, right throughout the land. Uh, Would you like to tell us about it, introduce the organ symphony? Well, the musical people out there will know that the organ is the king of all instruments. And if you go to Europe, you'll find, the, or anywhere in Europe, it doesn't matter which particular country, you'll find the organists or the organs of the cathedrals and the abbeys and the friaries of a, a huge uh, part of the church, not just of the sound they make, but the size that it takes over in the building. But then you hear the sound and you suddenly realise, can it do all this? And it can. It's majesty at work in the church. Name of all majesty is a hymn, a marvellous big hymn, uh, and the organ symphony just simply embellishes the best out there, as far as I can see, in that world of wonderful sound from pipes and a very good organist. Nigel, may you long continue to play the organ, uh, to entertain and uh, to be such a nice person to engage with. God bless you. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Terry.
That was the pianist, organist and choirmaster, Nigel Bridge, who was our guest on Beyond Belief. You can hear us every week on Claire FM on Sunday evenings between 9 and 10. The music on this podcast has been reduced for copyright reasons. Claire.